the wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome! This is The Wind Was a Beginning, a podcast about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 3, Episode 1, Even the Monsters Are People. Hello everyone! Thanks for being with us this week. My name is Justin, as you know, and you also know that we could not do these shows without my good friend and my favorite Wheel of Time aficionado, Stephen. Stephen, how are you doing this week? I am doing great. Uh, you know, we we took a little break, and I am really happy to be back. Are you are are you excited? Because we're starting season three. We are. <laughs> uh, we are yes. getting into the third book of The Wheel of Time, The Dragon Reborn. And I'm excited. I know you're excited. And uh, I almost just want to dive right into this. Fine by me. I mean, <laughs> there's just uh, this. I am excited to get into season three. Um, books one and two are outstanding. Um but I think we really start to build some real momentum here in book three. So Absolutely. I'm excited to, to, to see that kind of take off here. Absolutely. I'm pretty, I'm pretty hyped, but it's, it's been, it's been a few weeks since we recorded. So we just got to catch up a little bit. You've been doing all right, man. I've been doing good. That's, uh, you know, stuff's, you know, we're getting into fall finally. Uh, we got all these holidays coming up before long. Yeah, how's your spooky um, season been? It's been good. Uh, yeah, you know we're we're getting ready now before too much longer for the trick or treaters, and uh, you know we've got pumpkins everywhere. My <laughs> wife and I went to the pumpkin patch more than one because uh, uh, she that's her favorite thing in the fall is to decorate with pumpkins. So I just eyeballing it, I'd say we probably have about. 18 pumpkins sitting here in, in front of me right now. Okay. You know, we, we used to really get into um, Halloween. We still we still do enjoy it, but, uh, you know, the first couple of years we lived um, in our current house, we didn't have that many trick-or-treaters, so we kind of got out of decorating and preparing for that kind of thing. We'll probably just sit at home and watch some uh, some Halloween movies. And enjoy yeah, we, that. We've been watching our Halloween movies. We start at the beginning of the month and have to watch a couple a week to get all the way through all of them. <laughs> I uh, hear that. I hear and that. Then we thankfully, I mean, it, different years are different. Um, we actually had it snow on Halloween a couple years ago, which was crazy. But uh, usually we'll get somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 or 50 kids come by. That's not bad. No, it, it's fun. You get to see all the neat costumes and the kids just have a blast. So it's a lot of fun. Well, you know, however you want to, uh, enjoy that, that holiday. Plus, 
Plus, I have a giant 13-foot uh, Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man that hangs out in the front yard at this time of year. You know, you can't go wrong there. But of course, <laughs> for, for our listeners, by the time they're hearing this, Halloween's already going to pass. We're going to be into the month of November. Um, so, you know, it is... It, I just, you know, hope that you did enjoy your Halloween season and looking forward to the rest of the year. Uh, some of my favorite times of year coming up, but we can talk about that later. Let's talk Wheel of Time, shall we? We shall. <laughs> Let's get into our discussion for this week, in which we will be discussing the prologue and chapters one and two of The Dragon Reborn, the third book of The Wheel of Time. So we're going to give you a few minutes to... Go and read those chapters. If you haven't done that yet, you can hit the pause button and we'll be waiting right here when you get back. So let's go ahead and dive right into this week's discussion. We are in the prologue, uh, Fortress of the Light. Padron Nial, Lord Captain Commander of the Children of the Light, knows that the last battle is coming and he is prepared to fight and win. Gathering information and handing down orders, the Lord Captain Commander sets his plans into motion, but not everyone in the Fortress of the Light is who they appear to be. But before we get into all of that, you want to talk about the, uh, I guess, the first page of the book? Yeah, I... I uh, <laughs> you want to talk you know. about the, uh, the commentaries on the prophecies of the dragon? Yep. I Go had for almost it. forgotten about it because I listened to the audiobook and it's just it just rolls right in and I wasn't even thinking about it being right. separate. Uh but yeah, I just love the you know, the prophetic like getting into it here. I'm just gonna read it. Go for it. And his his paths shall be many, and who shall know his name? For he shall be born among us many times in many guises. He has been and ever will be, time without end. His coming shall be like a sharp edge of the plow, turning our lives in furrows from out of the places where we lie in our silence. The breaker of bonds, the forger of chains, the maker of futures, the unshaper of destiny. <laughs> uh, it just is like so, ah, like I don't even know the right word for it. It just is like, it rings of like power and prophecy and just like, you know. Uh, the cycle, how the dragon has been, he'll be again. He's this agent of change on, that the wheel puts out to alter the world. Yeah. And now we know that this is all falling on Rand. Yeah, yeah, for real. Um, <laughs> and I don't think we even know the half of it yet, though. Yeah. I just love the, the last title they give him, The Unshaper of Destiny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean... Maybe shaping some people's destiny. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, you want to dive into this prologue and talk about sure. the various meetings of Hadron <laughs> Nial, Lord Captain Commander of the Children of the Light. And it starts... A oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, a.k.a. Justin's favorite person. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I don't know. This this man, uh, you know, at least right now, seems like he 
has some wisdom about him. So, uh, he, uh, he, he definitely has some high ambitions, which we're going to talk about, but, um, you know, he's not, he's not Jarrett Byar. No. <laughs> um, but, but Jarrett Byar is here in, uh, the Fortress of the Light and has a meeting with the Lord Captain Commander, apparently reporting on things that had happened in Falma, along Toman Head, Almuth Plain, in that region of the world. So uh, I want to start, you wanted to talk about the description of Bayar. So tell me what it was that, that you wanted to, to bring out about that. Um, Just, you know, it says his appearance, he's dark, deep-set eyes, shone with a feverish, urgent light in a face that seemed to have no spare scrap of, uh, have every spare scrap of flesh boiled away. <laughs> uh, you know, he, none were a sword, none were allowed in Niall's presence, but he seemed poised on the edge of violence, like a hound awaiting the loose of a leaf. <laughs> uh, you know, it just, he sounds like a madman. <laughs> I mean, he, he definitely has something going on internally, right? Yeah. That, you know, he's, he's bent on vengeance, maybe. Yeah. Uh, especially towards Perrin. As, yeah. I mean, you, you know, you say he brings up Perrin's name and I mean, he's like a whole different person. One thing that you, you mentioned the description. What about Niall's description of him as, you know, like a man with, he's a good soldier, but a man with little imagination. I found that not one to think for himself. Yeah. I found that pretty compelling that, you know, he's, you know, if, if there's one good thing that could be said about Bayar is he's going to obey orders. Yeah. Uh, He's going to do what, whatever, whoever is over him tells him to do. So, I guess that might be in his favor. Um, it can also be a very dangerous quality to have in a person. That that's true <laughs> as well. Someone who the, will someone who will obey no matter what. Yeah, uh, that's that's a dangerous thing in the wrong hands. Uh, you know, he is he is well and truly a hundred percent a zealot. Uh, yeah, and and I know. think I, I think he is. Kind of what has, for lack of a better word, colored <laughs> my impression of the White Cloaks. Because he's really the first one we were introduced to. And it was it was that characteristic. And I, I like that word, zealot. Uh, that made him very unlikable. And, you know, kind of made... I mean, look, I know you're not supposed to like the White Cloaks. But it really had an effect on how I viewed that group going forward. I'll, I'll be the first to admit that there are some, um, Bornhold, for example, that I'm not, don't have that huge of a problem with. Uh, they actually kind of sensible, but Bayar just painted such a bad picture when we first met him that, um, it's kind of hard to shake that. Yeah. And I think that's purposeful because honestly, I think at this point in time, the children of the light, 
tend to be more like Byar and less like Bornhold. Yeah, probably like, so. I want to say that Jeff from Born, Bornhold was probably a unique man in his position. Okay. okay. Uh, like, I don't see, especially we'll see, you know, other interactions here, even in just this prologue. I don't see a lot of good in these men. <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I don't know. Maybe, and I can't believe I'm saying this, maybe there are some redeeming factors among them, but uh, there are definitely some bad apples, too. Yeah. Um, And we're going to meet another one of those here in just a little bit. Uh, But what about this report that Bayar brings? (laughs) Yeah, so... He is obviously doing what he was ordered at the end of the last book. Yeah. You know, he was to watch and report. Uh, probably, you know, we know for a fact it took him some while to get here. Yeah, I think um, he's even described, you know, the, the description of him makes it sound like he has been, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> he, he's he's we're, been facing a tough time. Yeah, we're looking at probably has been several months since the end of the second book uh, because we know in the next couple of chapters that we are pretty much now in like the heart of winter as opposed yeah. to we were at the well, end of autumn at the end of last book. Yeah. I actually, I think, um, and we could get into this, but I think it's more, you know, in most places closer to spring because, um, True. I think Perrin even says that, that, you know, in the lower air, you know, they were up at altitude and of course it was still That's very true. cold there. So yeah, there has been quite a bit of time pass. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so it took him some time to get here. He relays what he was supposed to, although I'm sure it's not in how Bornhold intended it to be relayed, <laughs> um, because everything seems to be skewed around his insistence that Perrin was to blame for everything. Yeah, it's all Perrin Ibarra's fault. Yep. He brought the army. He's the one that, you know, it's almost like in his mind, Perrin stro- strolled out of the fog and per. And personally killed Jeff from Bornhold. <laughs> <laughs> and Byron was there to see it all. <laughs> you know, it's very much uh, his... He is doing what he was told. He's following orders. He's giving a good report. But it is very much the report of how things happened through his eyes. Uh, which is not necessarily... And that's something that Jordan, uh, in his writing, likes to play with a lot. Is the unreliable narrator? Yeah, I've, I've we noticed are getting, that. <laughs> we are getting how things took place, and that is influencing these people, just like it would be in real life. But I was, I was about to make that exact point. How you know, if this were something actually taking place, how would these things be reported? Yep, by people who have biases, who, exactly. who hold grudges. Um, things of that nature. So, I mean, it makes, it really brings the world to life if you want to be honest about it. Yeah. Cause there was nobody there to whip out their, you know, wheel phone 6,000 to take pictures. So, I mean, they're just going to have to go off word for word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, there's a ton of stuff going on in the world at this point. Yeah, um, I, I I came I wrote down a list, and this is coming from uh, 
the Lord Captain Commander's perspective. Uh, there's war in uh, Terabon and Eridoman. There is civil war in Kyrian. Uh, there's war fever in Tyr in Ilion. Of course, they're old enemies. Aeol outside of the Waste, the uh, Atha and Mir, the Sea Folk ignoring trade and seeking signs. The Great Hunt of the Horn has been called. Ogier meeting between their steadings. Uh, there's a false dragon in Saldea, and he can channel. And uh, there's this also this false dragon that came out of Falma. And apparently some of the Aes Sedai are supporting him. And I almost feel like adding to that dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, right? Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It very much feels like that. And it's it's hilarious how many of these things... So we get this mix of stuff that we immediately know Rand and the boys were tied up in getting some of the, like kicking off some of this stuff, like Kyrian. Right. And the stuff that's going on in Ilian is indirectly influenced by that too. So, you know, we have stuff like that. Um, but then we also have things that we had no idea about, like the fact that the Ogier are up to something. Yeah, we didn't know about that. And we had gotten a little bit of a hint at uh, Mazram Time yeah. in the last book, but not much about him. Um, so we, we, we find out a little bit more about him here, too. Did we already know that he could channel, or is that something that's revealed here? We knew they thought he could, okay. but they did not know. Okay. Well, this seems to be to confirm it, then. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, too, because of uh, how how much impact this report that Bayar is making yeah. is having on Pedro Nile's plans and thoughts, because for the longest time, the Children of the Light have always insinuated and shouted from the rooftops that the Aes Sedai were evil witches and they lie despite their three oaths. And now, thanks to Child Bayar, Pedrin Nile finally feels like he has proof right, it's, that the Aes Sedai have been tricking the world. Yeah, confirmation. Yep. Confirmation. And so I think, you know, it's a pretty big deal, even though it's such a small thing, it seems like, that uh, Bornhold had him set aside and go and report, but it completely changes you know, this leader of basically a huge army, it completely changes his outlook on the world at this point, because yeah. now he finally feels like he has the justification to act in certain ways that he didn't have before. Right. Uh, well, in his mind, all of this, and I mean, he, you know, might be correct in this assessment, assessment but in his mind, all of this is signs that the last battle is coming. Yep. Uh, and apparently, we learn this a little bit later, and we'll talk about that a little bit more as well. We can go ahead, maybe, and get into that. Um, his intention is to fight. Yeah. Uh, he, he wants to fight and win the last battle, um, and, and seemingly not because he cares so much, not because he cares so much about saving mankind, but he wants everybody to be singing his praises yeah it's when all he about saves glory. Them, when he saves them from the from the last battle um yep 
And it's interesting, too, what he's convinced himself that the last battle is. Right, uh, right. Um, so, it's... I find it intriguing, the uh, the mental hoops he's decided to jump through. <laughs> <laughs> uh, isn't that what we what we do? Um, yeah. Um, well, let, let's... Uh, Let's talk about another meeting. Uh, this one with uh, Jakim Carradin. Yep. Um, one uh, who I think we met in book two. Uh, he's one of the questioners, uh, yes. otherwise known as the Hand of the Light. He's been called back to the Fortress of the Light and asked to give report to the Lord Captain Commander. Yeah, so he, in the second book, we did see him because he was the one who basically commandeered Bornhold and his right. men. Yeah. Uh, and so we get a kind of a reconnection here with that because, you know, uh, Pedro Nile is like, so dark friends were in Palma and Bornhold took a thousand of my men <laughs> and went and killed himself against them. But the whole time you were writing me letters saying how Bornhold was a dark friend. So are you yeah. trying to tell me that dark friends were fighting dark friends? Uh-huh. <laughs> and you know, what's funny is even, even when he says that, uh, Carradine, well, he, we never know if he was a dark friend or not because we couldn't <laughs> yeah, put into the question. Yeah. Uh, this guy is something else for real. Um, I, I don't even know where to begin with him. Yeah, so he was he was there following orders. We now learn. Yeah, uh, and we kind of get this uh, this whole thing with with breakdown between Nile and Carradine here. We learn why things were happening the way they were in the last book. We find out exactly uh, what Pedro Nile is after here. Uh, his plans didn't exactly go as he wanted them to. Right. He wanted to, what was it, resurrect the nation of Almuth? Pretty much. And let and make it another, I guess you could say, another uh, White Cloak stronghold? No, he wanted to make it a full-on kingdom for the White Ru- Cloaks. Ruled by like, the White he Cloaks. Wanted, That's right. Yeah. Right now, where they're at, they have. there is a king, there's a government, the White Cloaks practically rule but they don't actually they still yeah. have to give lip service to a king they're at his his uh beck and call basically and so his idea here was he wanted to raise up a new country that he was going to he was basically wanting to make himself king of a country that doesn't exist anymore those are some bold aspirations <laughs> yeah so but uh, it didn't exactly go to plan and i think there's a cup you know it was a perfect storm of things that kept his plan from going as it should. Right. Um, well, what do we have? I mean, we have obviously, you know, the stuff that happened in Falma, which Carradine is completely like, I would say willingly oblivious to the truth of it. Uh, Cause he, he has himself convinced that there there's, you know, the the Sean Chan are just dark friends come down with Trollocs from the waste. You know, there's no way they could have crossed the Arith Ocean. 
You know, it's impossible. You know, he's willfully ignorant of the truth, I think. I don't know if he's willfully ignorant. I think he might be purposefully acting ignorant. Oh, you you think he he actually knows more than he's putting on? Yeah. Okay. I think he does. I think Cardin is up to things. Well, uh, obviously he is. Um, yeah. We'll find that out in a little bit. Um, Pedro Nial, or Nial, has a very bold plan. Now, <laughs> his earlier plan, we, we just said it got, you know, kind of messed up. But now he has a new plan. Let the lion roam free. Yep. Um Basically, and, and he orders Karen in this to, you know, make sure that Randall Thor doesn't die and kill any Aes Sedai who come to oppose rather than support him. And that way, when the people are well and truly frightened, then the White Cloaks, particularly Pedro and Niall, can swoop in and take care of business. And guess what? Everybody's going to love them for it. <laughs> Yeah, which is as twisted and manipulative as it is, it is not a bad plan. It's really From not. From a purely I mean, strategic standpoint, it's a great plan. I say, hasn't that kind of stuff been done throughout history? <laughs> yeah. No, it, it uh, definitely is a smart move. It's immoral and horrible, but it's smart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's... And, you know, he's pretty darn serious about it, because if I remember correctly, he pretty much tells Keratin that if anything is to happen to Rand, he's dead. Or <laughs> and if, if anything any- happens to himself, he's dead. Keratin won't outlive him a month. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's so. he is pretty serious about this. I, I put down, he he's he's getting pretty brutal in this. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's he's definitely got some... Bold aspirations uh, going yep. on here that I I think personally stretch uh, now far beyond resurrecting the nation of Almuth. And yeah. uh, you know I kind of think he wants to rule the world. <laughs> I I have no doubts at all. He at least wants to be seen as the world's savior. Yeah, like he has got he has gotten like a full on god complex almost at this point. Like, he wants to be the man that's single-handedly remembered for defeating the Dark One and his hordes in the last battle and saving the world. Yeah. If he happens to pick it up like pieces on a chessboard and rule it all by the end, all the better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, there is that one little problem of we really, the, the Dark One is real and we really do have to deal with him. I found it interesting that Niall, you know, when he was thinking about the last battle, he thought it was just going to be something like the Trolloc Wars. Uh, he 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 didn't think that the Dark One would actually break out of his prison, which, you know, I, I guess, you know, at this point, uh, we don't know for certain that that will happen, but it seems pretty likely. We've got, what, um, three seals broken now? Yeah. Yeah, so that we know of. three out of seven that we know of are broken, so that, that seal is weakening. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Niall needs to uh, 
He's got a bold plan. It's not a terrible plan, but there are some flaws in it for sure. Yeah, and it all comes from his... I think it stems from his unwillingness to want to deal with and acknowledge a power that is greater than man himself because the white folks are all about how no one should have the, the one power except the creator. Man should be man. We shouldn't be tinkering with all these things. It is his, in my opinion, his view of the last battle is directly shaped by how he views the rest of the world. He wants the world to be something that a normal, everyday person can overcome and come to grips with, where, you know, his smarts and determination are enough to win the day. And he doesn't want to consider that there are powers beyond him that will get in that in the way of that. And so he chucks those out as non-issues. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could get on such a soapbox right now, but uh, we don't really have time for that. <laughs> so um, I guess we need to move on to the third meeting in the yeah. prologue. Uh, an unexpected meeting. With uh, a strange little fellow who is going by the name of, how would you pronounce it? Ordeeth. 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 This is an interesting fellow. Isn't he, though? And I'm very, very, I mean, of course we're going to be suspicious of this guy, but he, he just, he knows too much. Right? He knows too much about what's going on in the world. He knows too much about the two rivers yeah. and the young men who come. I mean, he he knows first and last names of all three of the Taviran from the two rivers. And yeah. it seems that he has a special hatred of Rand based on how he handles that chalk drawing that yeah. Niall has in his chamber. So, man, oh man, I wonder who in the world this could be. <laughs> yeah, I know. Who? This is this this may be what one of the worst kept secrets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or or the I worst mean, the worst veiled mysteries uh of all time. I mean yeah, I don't think Jordan is even trying to hide who this is here. I even think uh, some of the descriptions of him are meant to, yeah. um, you know, me meant to make us think of Padden Fane. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't think there's any attempt to hide it from us as readers. Yeah, I think he's just playing coy in the scene. Right, but I think but again. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I think, you know, there are too many similarities here. Mm. Yeah. I mean, again. I mean, who else is it going to be? We're, we're dealing with an unreliable narrator. We're looking at this through Pedro Niall's eyes. Right. He doesn't know who Padden Fane is. He knows yeah. this gangly creature whose name means Wormwood. Um who he thinks is half mad. Yeah. Showed up one day at the Fortress of the Light and apparently they've been keeping some confidence together. Uh but yeah, I have no doubts whatsoever who this man 
really is. Oh, even the, the, the description that I was trying to find it in my notes that, uh, a bony little man with a huge beak of a nose. And then there's another point it mentions he barked a shrill laugh. I'm almost certain those exact words are used about Padden Fane at some other point. I uh, It would not surprise me in the least. Yeah. Uh, you know, it. it's, it's uh, definitely Padden Fane here, which is uh, very troubling, or at least it should be. <laughs> because he, he's gone from peddler to something worse to stealer of the horn of Valir to advisor slash puppet pulling string master in for the Sanchan, and now he's moved up to the Lord Captain Commander of the Children of the Light. <laughs> he, he he certainly he, gets around. He is doing exactly what. Mordeth did uh, in Eridhold. You're right. You're right. He's finding a person of power, weaseling in, and then turning them into his puppet. Yeah. He's manipulating. He's working his... He's a, he's a puppet master. He's a string puller, but he doesn't want to be... He likes to work from the shadows like a spider. Yeah. Well, so far, he's been doing a really good job of it. Yeah. And uh, I'm only, I'm anxious to see where this goes. Um, that's all we really get about Ordeath right now. Is there anything else that that you felt need to be said about him? No, nope, just that uh, we need to watch out because he's got more power now than he's ever had. So this yeah. is not good. Yeah, but <laughs> he's, he's not the only one we have to watch out for because uh, we find out a little secret about our friend Caradon, uh, especially when he gets back to his chambers and is greeted by a Murdral, who seems to think they're on the same side. Oh, and by the way, we heard it from Caradon's own mouth. I serve the great. I serve the Lord of the Dark. <laughs> yep. So here we have a dark friend hidden amongst the children of the light. And the only thing, the, the, the thought that I had was, could this be the man called Bors from the prologue of the previous book? I was hesitant to think that at first because, um, you know, his, the, I went back and looked it up that Bors, his orders from Baal Zaman seemed to be more along the lines of find two rivers men, but don't kill them. And Caradin's orders are very clearly to kill Randall Thor. But there was a line in there. Uh, he asked the question, why is it suddenly so important to kill him? So I wonder if the plan has changed. That maybe, you know, this is Bors and his orders have changed. So I have a theory on so because I too believe this to be Boars, and I have a theory about why the orders may have changed. What would that be? There's more than one master giving the orders. Oh, okay. That so would make sense. We know we know for a fact that more than one of the Forsaken is rolling about. Ah. Uh, it is completely possible that 
his orders that he was getting from this half man didn't come from Balzaman. Okay. That would make perfect sense. Yeah, because the Forsaken are known to be to infight and have different schemes. They all they don't work together very well. Right. Well, they're, they're schemers and betrayers. Yeah, they're they're all trying to, you know, be the the right hand man or woman, I guess. Yeah. Um, it, it makes sense that they would work against each other. That yeah. may be what's happening here. Either way, um, he's got himself in a pickle, right? Yep. Because he's got one leader, uh, Pedro Nial, telling him, if Randall Thor dies, you die too. <laughs> but now he's got this Murdral telling him that if Randall Thor stays alive, I'm going to kill one member of your family every month until he's dead. And if I run out, I'll just kill you. Or actually... He's going to take him to Shale Goal where where he'll just wish he was dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's... Carradin, a.k.a. Boars, has gotten himself stuck between a dark and a light place. Yeah, uh, he's, <laughs> he's got himself in a, like I said, in a real pickle here. Yeah. Um, what about this half-man, though? Anything stand out about him? Yeah, so this is the first time that we've actually gotten to see a Murdral converse. Uh, okay. You know, we we may we got allusions to it in a couple of the other books. You know, we got that whispery scene on the road to Camelin, but this is the first time we've really seen like a, a half man as more than like a monster. And we're seeing more that they are thinking, conscious, have their own machinations. He's a, they are more like people than Trollocs. Okay. You know, we see that they have personalities. They're not just like a cookie cutter, dark fiend. Okay. <laughs> uh, that there's, there's a little more to the half man here. Uh, and he doesn't think very much of boars either. <laughs> Uh, Apparently he, not. He, he pretty much, I think, sees himself as a step above Boars. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting. I don't even know that he might be completely accurate there. Because, <laughs> you know, where does a dark friend of Boars rank stand in the hierarchy of evil? <laughs> right. Well, obviously, you know, somebody has sent him to give orders yeah. Or maybe he's doing it on his own. I, I doubt that. I think he's probably getting the orders from somebody. But so, um, yeah, obviously he thinks he's uh, maybe a little bit more important. He's the one giving the orders. Yep. So, so. Um, but I just found it interesting, you know, the whole conversation and breakdown that, that it's in the first couple books, the half men are almost like boogeymen, you know? Sure. Like, and now we're seeing there's more depth to them. I think that's, a neat aspect of what Jordan did here. He, he makes it kind of more, uh, three dimensional. Even the monsters are people. (laughs) (laughs) You say even the monsters have some, some personality. I'm also very interested to know exactly who gave him these orders because, you know, like I said, it could be the forsaken, any one of them. Yeah. Or, or did he get orders directly from 
the dark one? You know, good question. And because you know, you mentioned earlier the orders changing and stuff like that. Yeah, it's completely possible that the orders changed because of what Rand did at the end of the last book. Okay. Uh, he he, you know, basically he finally Rand finally at the end of that book defied him. You know, he chose, he had that realization at the end, uh, influenced by all those lives he lived in the flicker moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, basically decided, no, he wasn't going to submit. He might not win, he might die, but he would never submit. Right. And I think that is a turning point for Rand against Belzamon here, and that may be also why the orders have changed. Very well could be. It makes sense. Yeah. It absolutely makes sense. Because the only reason Balsamon wanted him alive was to serve him. And if right. he knows now that he's not going to, well... Then <laughs> what's the point of keeping him alive? Yep. Um, important questions for important times. Anyway, uh, shall we go ahead and move on into chapter one? I think you we know, better. <laughs> 40, 41 minutes into the episode. Yep. Um, okay. So we'll move into chapter one, waiting. Waiting in the cold mountains of mist, Perrin and a group of Shinarans wait for an expected visitor, are surprised by a raven, and then the visitor's identity is its own surprise. The journey back to camp is fairly uneventful, except for a discussion that leaves Perrin wrestling with his own thoughts about the world. Oh, it's cold in the mountains of mist. Yep. And uh, maybe a little bit warmer in some other places, though probably not too warm. It seems like this might be like the earliest days of spring. Um, so... It's still really cold. I would cold. even venture to say that it's not even spring everywhere yet either. Right. Like, it's 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 in the, you know, it, it's in that transition point. Yeah. Um maybe like late February or March kind of yeah. thing where, you know, in the south it's starting to warm up, but up north they're still dealing with snow. <laughs> yeah. Um uh so there is a lot um obviously this is a Perrin point of view chapter both chapter one and two are Perrin's point of view and it's it's nice to get into his head and we're not the only ones there <laughs> apparently not um and <laughs> I'm not well well I guess there's a couple of things along those lines first of all he keeps having these these feelings and and we, I don't guess we get any kind of you know, payoff for what those might be. He doesn't want to mention them. Yeah. Um, cause he's nervous about what it might mean. Uh, what I really picked up on was his, uh, his feelings about being a wolf brother. It, it yeah. seems to me, you know, I was getting the impression towards the end of the previous book that, he was becoming more accepting of his connection with the wolves, but I, I, I feel like maybe not so much now. He's definitely hesitant to reach out 
to the wolves. And even when he catches himself doing things, you know, for example, thinking about, you know, he can, he can smell like what a person's feeling. Yeah. And he tells himself to stop it. Yeah. So I what think, do you think is going on with Perrin and his wolf connection? I think it's two things going on here. One, I think in towards the end of the last book, we do see him kind of being a little more accepting and coming to more acceptance. But I think that's mostly out of necessity at that point. Yeah. He needed the wolves. He had to use that ability because Matt's life was in danger and they needed to find the horn and the dagger. He accepted it. He, it was inevitable that he had to do this, and so he went with it. I think what's happened now is none of that has changed, but he's had months stuck in the mountains to dwell on it. Okay. And to top that off... During that time, secondary changes have been happening to him. It's not just hearing them or feeling them. Now, it's changing things about him. Mm-hmm. We mentioned here, you know, that he can smell what other people are feeling all of a sudden. That's not something he could do before. Right. Uh, in a little bit, when he gets back to camp, he'll mention the smell of meat. And how he's basically only wants meat now. Yeah. And he like it's changing what he craves. It's changing things about him. And I think that's scaring him. I can see that. I that, can see that. And Perrin, sure. Perrin, in my opinion, is not a character that does well bottled up. Oh, obviously like, not. If, you, if you, you give Perrin too long to sit and stew, it's never good. All right. Uh, so I think that's part of it too. It's just, he'll be, I think he would be in a much better situation in his own head if he was doing something, but he's had too much time the last couple months doing nothing and just having nothing but his own thoughts to keep him company in his head. It's just not a good recipe for him. Yeah. (laughs) So Perrin needs to get out there and start doing something. Yeah. He needs, and, and and when we say doing something, we mean more than going out and waiting for these women who are mysteriously showing up, uh, expected, but nobody really understands how or what is going on. They just show up, they talk to Moraine, and then they leave, and Moraine doesn't really tell them anything. Yeah. So I have... Some interesting thoughts on those women, by the way. Let's talk about those women. Let's talk about um, just the the situation in general. We'll talk about the one we meet in this chapter in a moment. Um, but what what's going on? So it's here? revealed that since they made camp, pretty much within a couple weeks of them making camp, women just started appearing only wanting to talk with Moraine and then they pretty much are back out the other side as soon as they're done talking to her. You know, maybe they eat and sleep and then they're back on their way. Yeah. Uh, and this parade of random women that don't seem to have any connection just keep showing up to speak with Moraine. And it 
I like Moraine. I think we're supposed to like Moraine. Um, she's supposed to be a good guy. But what's happening here leads me to think some pretty dark things may be happening. And this may just be my own personal opinion, but what's happening here to me reeks of compulsion. Okay. Like, you you think Moraine is somehow reaching out, compelling these women? Is that what you're saying, I or I don't know. I don't know exactly, but to me, it seems. A little too convenient. Okay. Like, these women being able to find her randomly, like, she hasn't sent messengers to them that, that they know anyways. So, obviously, somehow or another, she's communicating with them in some way or another. It just, to me, it it's, it's very odd. And... It almost makes me wonder if these are people that she has used as informants or eyes and ears at some point. Okay. And is basically uh, similar to like the, the bond that she had with the boys when they held the coin. If she's done something similar to that that allows her to summon them when she wants them. Okay. Um. But... It just seems a little fishy to me, and, you know, I don't know. Like I said, this is completely my own subjective sure. opinions sure. here. This is theory time with Steven. <laughs> uh, so it just, to me, it it seems wrong. Like, it doesn't seem natural. Well, I got to be honest. I had really not thought that much about it, <laughs> but now you've given me something to think about. It is definitely suspicious. Yeah. And also, I guess one of the curious things is how all of these women are different. Uh, I believe it's mentioned one of them was a, a beggar. Another one appeared to be, you know, a wealthy noble of some kind. And then there's the one that we're waiting on on this occasion, woman who we find out is named Leah, Leah. Yep. And she is one of the Tuatha'an, one of the traveling people, which shocks everyone. Number one, because she's traveling by herself, which they don't normally do. And, you know, she's in this putting herself in this dangerous situation all by herself. They know that she's not armed because of the way of the leaf. Um, so they're a little bit impressed, but also a little bit intrigued. <laughs> um, I'm particularly interested in the discussions that Perrin has with her on the way back to camp. Yeah. It's pretty much... And I, I understand where he's coming from, but I was pretty upset with Perrin in this, in his, 
uh, I'm trying to find the right word. His, his um, wow. He doesn't like the way of the leaf. No, he, but and, he has but good he's, reason. He's very, he almost speaks very derogatory toward her. And I'm not saying he doesn't have good reason. And I completely agree with Perrin. Basically, he, he tells her, you know, we have to live in the world as it is, not as we want it to be. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fact of life. We can't just wish the world to be what we want it to be. I mean, you can, you know, follow the way of the leaf. And, you know, Perrin has a point. That's not going to stop the Trollocs from killing you. Or worse, yeah. Um, but I wasn't really, uh, I wasn't really thrilled with the way Perrin spoke to her. Uh, it was very derisive. That's the word I was looking for. I think what you're picking up on there, I think, is a real bitterness that Perrin has, and I, in my opinion. I think it stems less from the way of the leaf in as a teaching and more from how Perrin is feeling about choices right now. Yeah. Because Perrin is very much feeling the fact that all of his choices keep getting taken away from him. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't choose to leave home. He didn't choose to have to fight the dark. He didn't choose to be a wolf brother. All of this stuff is just constantly being forced on him. And I think he's a little extra saucy with Leah here because while he doesn't agree with the lay of the leaf, I think he's more upset with the fact that they these people get to choose to just stand outside of it. Yeah. And he doesn't even have that choice. Well, you know, I, I, I did pick pick up on that uh, a little bit. I, I did think that, you know, based on the conversation and some of like the internal uh, dialogue that Perrin has with himself, that if it were up to him... And I think we've seen this with Perrin throughout. If it were up to him, a life of non nonviolence would be absolutely what he wants. Yeah. But he just doesn't see that as being possible. So maybe you're I, I think you're you're probably right that there's a little bit of it is it's not so much that he's upset with Tuathaan and their way of the leaf. He's upset that He's been pulled into this life yeah. of violence. I mean, he's he's yeah. killed people, and we know that that is weighing heavily on his psyche. He is a blacksmith. He is a he is a creator. He does not like killing. Yeah, it is against his nature, and yet that seems to be. And right now, too, he also is still at this point seeing the wolves as like creatures that kill. Yeah, uh, he's he's letting that part of what a wolf is cloud his judgment onto other things. And so he, it's just his whole life right now is consumed with kill or be killed, constant fighting. And it's so it's crushing him. It's yeah. so against who Perrin is as a person. So it, there's a lot of hurt I think in Perrin right now. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's definitely struggling. That's for sure. All right. So we're, already well into this uh, episode and we've only covered two chapters. So uh, what do you think? Save chapter two for next week. 
Yeah, I think that's probably a good plan. <laughs> yeah, because there, there's quite a bit there that I know we want to cover, and we don't want this to be, you know, like a two-hour show. Um, so we're going to just hold off on Chapter 2. We'll add that, or we'll, we'll adjust our plan for uh, next week uh, accordingly. But, um, man, this has been a great discussion on a prologue and one chapter. yeah but i do have i do have one final thought that i want to that i want to give ask you i I have a question um we talked in the prologue about how jeffram bornhold had been killed in the fight at falma yes did we see a body uh no we did not (laughs) I, you know, I have to ask that question because, I, you know, at one point we thought Padden Fane was dead, but we never saw a body. Yep. So, it's possible? <laughs> hey, you are, you are hitting on something that Wheel of Time fans have been dealing with since the books first came out. Show me a body that, or I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, because there's... Uh, so many times, like, you don't have any, like, there's so much. Yeah. If you don't see a body, just, <laughs> I would always keep in the back of your mind that that's a question mark, not a coffin. <laughs> uh, so what does that say for Narg? <laughs> I think Narg is still dead. He got <laughs> run through. We saw a body we, for Narg. We, we saw a body with Narg. Uh, yeah. Narg, we miss you. <laughs> uh you have any final thoughts uh no just i'm thrilled to get back into this uh, i think season three book three uh it's gonna be a really fun ride uh and uh i think we're getting we can finally start getting into some more of like getting into these characters heads because we've had the first two books now to kind of establish who these characters are. Yeah. And so everything from this point forward is just going to be building on that. Uh, yeah. Plus some of my favorite character moments in the first half of the series happen in this book. Yeah. Well, so you know, I'm excited. Yeah. That's something for me is, you know, I've, I've read, you know, part of the series and from what I have read, uh, this is, probably one of my maybe maybe my favorite book out of the ones that I have read. I've enjoyed it the most. So I'm looking forward to diving into it again and um you know, probably learning things that I already knew but have forgotten because <laughs> as you know, I forget everything. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. We want to thank all of you our listeners for joining us. As you know, new episodes are released every Tuesday in various podcast platforms. You can subscribe, and we would love it if you would leave us a rating and a review wherever you're able to do that. Uh, we're on social media. We're at uh, we're on Twitter, at Wind Beginning. We're on Instagram, uh, The Wind Was a Beginning. We're on Facebook and YouTube, The Wind Was a Beginning, a Wheel of Time podcast. And now, announcing for the first time on the show, we are on TikTok. That's right. We're on TikTok, the... Um, Handle there is, like our Twitter, Wind Beginning. 
I don't really know what I'm doing over there, but I'm doing the best that I can. So, uh, enjoying that. So you can come and follow us there as well. Who knows? I might get into some crazy shenanigans. Um, <laughs> you can also email us at the wind was a beginning at gmail.com. We would love to hear your thoughts, your comments, your questions. Um, whatever you want to throw at us, keep in mind, we do a Q and a episode every season. Go ahead and send us your questions. We can go ahead and start thinking about those and those will be available. You, you can hear answers to those probably at the end of the season, unless we get a bunch and maybe we can do one like mid season or something. Yeah. Uh, Steven, uh, we know we're doing chapter two next week, but what are we going to be discussing for next week's episode? So next week we'll try and cover chapters two through four. All right. And I, I like that you said try. Yeah. <laughs> uh, listeners, just go ahead and assume whenever we tell you chapters that we're covering, that's our intent. It doesn't mean we're necessarily going to get through them all. We're going to do the best we can, but uh, yeah. it just may not happen. Case in point, this week's episode. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess that's going to do it for us this week. Again, thank you so much for joining us. It is season three. We're reading The Dragon Reborn, and we can't wait to get into the rest of it. Hope you all have a fantastic rest of your week, and we'll see you right here next time. Y'all, y'all have a great day, and can't wait to see y'all again. <laughs>